so right now, before I start, I want to pray, because I really, truly believe that where the Lord is taking us as a church, we are going to be operating in the power of God and signs and wonders, and we have to get over ourselves and get into him for that to happen, right? And so let's just pray, Holy Spirit, oh, I thank you, Lord, for your precious presence in our lives, Lord. I thank you that today we got to come in and we got to honor you and glorify you and magnify you during this time of worship. Lord, I thank you, God, that you took us into your presence. I thank you for every chain that fell off of your people as we came in. And today, right now, in this moment, if there is any spirit of fear or doubt or unbelief that is trying to mess with any of my brothers and sisters in Christ that are here today, we bind you in the name of Jesus and we take authority over you by the blood of the Lamb. And I thank you, Lord, that as the word is spoken, that people will receive it. Your people will have revelation of your word and that their hearts would be transformed to walk out what you have for them in Jesus' name. Anoint your word. Make my lips lips of clay. Use me in your presence for your glory and honor alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So y'all know we've been studying the nine gifts of the Spirit, right? And those are found in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. You know, one of, the fo- one of the points that I believe that has been made by every speaker that has come up here and taught was the most important thing about the Holy Spirit was the intimacy that we would have with him, that we walk out with him. You know, it's so easy to get focused on the gifts and the, and the big things. But I'm just telling you, it comes, and it comes out of the intimacy that the Lord is calling us all to. You know, my mom taught me this, and I had talked to Chris about it one day on the phone. My mom, all my life, would say, never seek the gifts. Only seek the giver. And then the giver will give you all that he is. You won't lack one good thing because you're seeking him. My mom would say, don't ever seek his hand. Only seek his face. And you will come into that intimate place with him and see him move in your life. And since I was a little child, I heard that, and I've always tried to stand in that wisdom of what my mom brought to me. My dad was a powerful believer, too. But, you know, sometimes you just get those nuggets from one of your parents, and it sticks with you forever. Communion and relationship with the Holy Spirit is the most precious gift, guys. That's the most precious gift that was given to us. And it was made available because Jesus died and he rose again so that we could accept him as our Savior. You know, that relationship with, that we have Some people stop right there. For many Christians, that's the only experience that they have with Jesus is that he died for them and he saved them. And that's, man, we've got eternal salvation, right? But the Lord has called us to so much more. And we know that Jesus died and he rose again and then he ascended to the Father He ascended to the Father because that was the only way that the Holy Spirit 
can make that shift and come here, right? And, and I'm sure y'all remember Birdie teaching about that. I sure do. I'm so thankful that he left so the Holy Spirit could come. And when he came, that is when we began to be empowered because he came to empower us. He came to equip us by his presence so that we, all of us, could operate in our kingdom assignments. And if you're here today and you don't think you have a kingdom assignment, the enemy is fooling you. He's pulling your chain. Because every person, the sound of my voice, has an assignment with the people that cross your path every single day. Every single day. We all have an assignment. Mine wasn't doing this for a long time. Mine was crossing paths with women and ministering to them in my business. It doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing. The Lord has called you into an assignment to share Christ every day. You know, I know from experience that there is so much more if we dig deeper. If we dig deeper into the word, there's so much more for every one of us. As we study the gifts of the Spirit, you know, some may even think, and I don't know if anybody here would think this, but some may think they're unnecessary. That's rude. I know. But some may think the gifts of the Spirit are unnecessary. But if we forsake or ignore the gifts that have been made available by the Holy Spirit, then guys, we literally forgo the deeper things. We literally forgo that intimacy with God that he's calling us to. We forgo that measure of the power of God that he wants in our lives. Why would we ever want to say, eh, we don't need it. We're doing fine just the way we are. Lies. Lies from that same man that gave me the dream last night. That spirit lies. 1 Corinthians 12, 9 says, this is, this is where we're going to res uh, resume the teaching today. This are the, these are the gifts of the spirit. Starting in 9, the gift of faith is by the same spirit. To another is the gift of healings by one spirit. And to another, the gift of miraculous power. The Passion Translation says, the power to work miracles. You know, we have heard a lot through the years. If, if you've been in any spirit-filled environments, for sure, you've heard a lot about the word dunamis. In fact, I think Kirsten sent me something on the dunamis power this week. She probably was like in sync with what I was studying. What does that mean? The English word for dunamis, the Greek word, means dynamite dynamo, and dynamic. This next group of gifts that we are getting ready to speak about, they're all appropriated on the power of God. That's why they're referred to as the power gifts because they tend to display the power of God. And that's what we want to see, God moving in power, in might, in our lives you know, we hear a lot about, um, sorry, when we, sorry, we learn a lot about these gifts as we begin to read the word. But today, we are going to find that as we start studying these three gifts, that they work very closely together, okay? So sometimes it's hard to actually uh, define which one is actually working, and I'm sure you've seen this before, because they're so close. 
They are all displaying the nature and the character of God. So although, the, although they are distinct, they produce very similar results. We're going to start with the gift of faith. The gift of faith is a special endowment of faith. It is not the same faith that we have for salvation. Okay? Salvation faith is the trusting and placing our lives in God's hands, recognizing the power of God in our lives and saying yes to Jesus and trusting and having confidence, faith, that he has us, that we have eternal salvation and our destiny is in his hands, right? That's salvation faith. This faith is the faith that um, being able to believe for God's mercy on our lives, his grace on our lives when we don't deserve it, that's a big, that actually is a pretty big faith, right? That's the believer's faith. It is the part of the transformational work of the believer. And I'm going to quote this. Um, Romans 10, 9, and 10. This is where every salvation should start, okay? Every faith, the very first faith you're probably going to have is Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So that's where we all start, right? But the gift of faith is the faith of knowing that God will do exactly what he said he's going to do. Therefore, it's like predicated on anticipation because we're so excited about what he's going to do. This faith is a mysterious surge of confidence, which sometimes just arises in a person when they're faced with specific situations or needs, okay? It's a supernatural certainty and assurance of God's intervention at a certain point, and it's the authority to affect that intervention through the power of the Holy Spirit, it's always for a specific time and purpose. When you have that gift of faith working in your life, okay? The gift of faith works in the realm of the unseen in events that are like just beyond human awareness, control, or ability. You know, countless Christians can testify that in just a moment of severe crisis or in a time of need, they suddenly found themselves having a supernatural level of faith then everything was going to be okay no matter what it looked like, right? That level of faith suddenly opened the door to God's miraculous. It could be for his provision. It could be for his deliverance. That faith that they experience in that moment is higher and stronger than any type of faith that you walk in from day to day. How many of you have probably received that kind of faith? You just knew in a minute, wow, what just happened, Lord? I'm going to trust you in this. And you see him show up, and you're like, could have never happened. This could have never happened without the Holy Spirit, right? From this point, an understanding of how and why God works is necessary in order to understand the gift of faith. So let's go to the Word for some examples. What you're going to see me do today is I'm going to take some Old Testament examples of God working in an area, and then I'm going to show you a New Testament example of God working in the same type of area, and then I will either give a testimony that's personal, or I'm going to share with you someone's testimony 
to validate each of these gifts. So we have to always remember that Jesus told his disciples in Luke 24, 49, wait in the city of Jerusalem until they were endued with the power from on high. So you know by now that the source of the power that Jesus promised here, what was it? It was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Jesus stated this in the last few hours that he was here on earth. He said, but you shall receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's Acts 1.8. He promised them that this was going to happen, and they needed to wait until they saw that fulfilled. The gift of faith is the supernatural dimension working, working at given times for special needs or opportunities. I read a quote from a man named Donald Gee that I had never heard of. Have any of y'all heard of Donald Gee? Anybody? He wrote a book in 1967 called Wind and Flame. And when I looked him up, he seems like a very, very strong, powerful, spirit-filled man that um, he's, he seems like he's a really um, anointed man. He wrote many wonderful things. Um, this says, It would seem to come upon certain of God's servants in times of special crisis or opportunity in such mighty power that they are lifted right out of the realm of even natural and aiding faith in God, and then they have a divine certainty that is put right into their souls that they will triumph over everything. I love that. In just a second, they will triumph over everything. The benefits of the gift of faith are it's going to provide the church with God's supernatural resources, right? When we, when we need resources, who to go to? Holy Spirit. And it also says that we can overcome Satan's barriers or any obstacles he tries to put in our way. Okay, so my first, first um, story of the Old Testament for the gift of faith is Joshua. It actually starts Joshua 5.13, and then it'll go into Joshua uh, chapter 6. But Joshua, all of a sudden, he sees this man standing very large man with his, with his sword drawn in his hand. And he was the commander of the Lord of Armies, right? And so Joshua fell down in reverence, and he asked him, what message does the Lord have for his servant? Joshua listens, and the angel says, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Also, the king and the fighting men as well. Like they were all going down, right? Nobody was going to be left. That's a pretty big promise. He says, here's your instructions. March around the city once a day with all the armed men for six days. Once a day. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns, which is the shofar, in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march seven times with the priest blowing their trumpets. When you hear them blow their trumpets with a loud sound, have all of the people give a loud shout, and that wall of the city will collapse, and the people will go up and go straight in. I want y'all to hear this. This is my friend Christina. 
with a healing anointing when she plays the shofar. And I just want you to picture them that day as they had been walking and walking. And they knew this day was the day that God said that wall's coming down. Can you imagine the anointing and power of God in that moment when that wall came crumbling down and they walked straight into that city? The Lord had already promised that supernatural miracle was going to take place, but they had to believe God for that. They had to follow in faith those instructions and go right in. So it had a supernatural outcome. Isn't that beautiful? A supernatural outcome because they were in obedience. Again, we know that the gift of faith is in operation with God through the power of the Holy Spirit. He performs the supernatural exploits that cannot be humanly explained. Can you imagine if the guys were talking to some other guys? Hey, you know, um, we're, we're, uh, I won't be back for a few days. I'm going to be gone the next week. What are you doing? I'm, I'm just going to be walking around the wall. Why are you going to be walking around the wall of Jerusalem, or, or Jericho? Well, God's instructed us to just march because he's going to give us that city. But let me tell you, that probably sounded crazy, and as each day went on, it probably felt crazier. But I want to tell you something prophetically. The Lord is going to do this in this region. We are getting ready to march together, and we are going to declare in the name of Jesus that every wall that the enemy has erected in this area will come down and we'll be able to march right in to the lives of the people that need Jesus. I'm believing it, guys. I am believing it, and I know y'all are too. Okay, these exploits cannot be done ordinarily. Otherwise, there would be no relation to the supernatural gifts of God. This kind of miracle has to be something that a human could not do normally. There is no strength involved in this. That's got, that fact has to be clearly understood. The gift of faith has to do with the functioning of God in you and through you, but it doesn't take any of your human strength involved on your part. You know, God didn't tell them, bring an axe, you know, let's try to like kind of chip away at this wall. They just followed an instruction. God does something supernaturally on your behalf, and he receives the glory, right? He receives the glory. I think that's why it's so fun to, to be involved in things that are supernatural because you know there's no way in a million years it could be you. No way, even on your best day, right? It's got to be God. So the gift of faith operates many times in the area of divine protection and divine provision, and it works independent of you. This gift is unlimited for the simple reason that God, not man, is the door to the miracle. He is the source. So I'm going to read this illustration that I've heard before taken out of Romans 8.37. I know you all know this scripture. It says we are more than conquerors. The gift of faith deals with this. A conqueror is a person who meets another person of equal or greater strength, and they go into battle, maybe you know, on the ring, you know, maybe, maybe um, they're wrestling, 
whatever that is. And the man comes up and he's a conqueror because he showed himself stronger than his opponent. But when the word says that we are more than conquerors, it literally means that I can stand and I can say, fall. And that, that enemy has to fall to the ground, has to fall in that moment, not by my strength, but by the authority of Jesus and the blood of the Lamb. God does these things while your hands are even closed. He does all of our fighting for us so that all we have to do is rejoice. Just rejoice in what he has. I'm going to tell a story. To me, it's, it's, a, it's a gift of faith. Brittany and I, years ago, when I, when I was working, um, like, you know, years ago in this opportunity of going to Harlingen, I had my friends here that I had no idea were coming today uh, from that Harlingen area that used to be on my team. It's a nice surprise. Um, but when I would drive to Harlingen, I would always take somebody with me 99% of the time. First of all, I didn't like to drive. It was long. But Robert's always had a big hang-up about uh, when you're going through King Ranch, only because it's such a long, miles and miles and miles, it's kind of desolate, and there's no, you know, gas stations, there's no people that you're going to run into, so if something happened, your car, you know, you had a flat or whatever, you're going to be in a pickle, because nobody can help you, right? And so Robert didn't like that part of the drive, so Brittany um, would go with me a lot of times, and so we had gone down, and I would had a couple days of meetings, and we were driving back, and we're just talking away in the car, and I had already been driving about an hour, and I looked down and realized that my gas light was on, and that my needle was below the last point that it would register, and I immediately went into my car to see how many miles I had, like zero. It wasn't even registering. And I'm like oh, my word, this didn't just happen. So we get up to the Border Patrol. God bless the Border Patrol. Okay, it's going to sound mean in a minute. But so I was like, yay, they're going to save us. I love that, you know, we're almost to the Border Patrol. So we get there maybe 10 minutes later. Brittany, you remember this? Like it was yesterday? So we get to the Border Patrol, and I'm like, oh, you know, I, was, I wasn't looking so good, right? But I got Brittany with me. You know, so I was like, okay. I was like, sir, I said, my car's not even registering. I have like no gas. The yellow light's been on, you know, for like the last 10 miles. That's when I noticed it. I have no gas. And I was like, and he goes, oh, okay, just a minute. And we're waiting, and I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You've got me covered. And he walks back, and, and he literally, my window's down. He had already seen that it wasn't registering. And he walks in, and he kind of tosses this piece of paper up on my dashboard. And I was like, what's that? I thought, maybe I need to sign something. Maybe I need to pay for the gas he's going to give me. And he goes, that's the phone number to the nearest wrecker that can come help you when you run out of gas. Oh, Lord Jesus. So in that moment, I'm, I'm looking at Brittany going, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And my heart immediately dropped, but as fast as it dropped, the Holy Spirit immediately began to resurrect faith. And I looked at Brittany, and I said, okay, and from now until we get to a gas station, which was all the way through King Ranch, at least 25 miles, I said, we're just going to pray in the Spirit. We're not going to talk. We're going to 
pray in the Spirit, and we're going to declare in the Spirit that we're going to see a miracle. And we're not going to stop praying until we pull up to a pump. <laughs> and we did. Like, we prayed the whole time. I mean, I, if you would have seen us, we were praying and we were warring tongues, like really praying. And when, when, we, when we pulled up, I, I've never been more thankful to the gift of faith and for God to provide and to stretch out that gas for us. And I just want to tell you about a second miracle that occurred that day. When I told Robert Luna, he didn't kill me. I thought, Brittany, this is our secret. No, I have no secrets for my husband. <laughs> I had to tell him. <laughs> it was so crazy. So, yeah, so two miracles in one. Yeah. So next we're going to talk about the gift of healings. The gift of healings is a supernatural healing of disease without natural means of any sort. So it's not kind of like part medicine, part healings. The gift of healings is not related to medical science our human learning. It is the counterpart of salvation because we know salvation heals the soul from sin and then we know divine healing restores the body, the mind, and the soul. Basically, every part of an ailment of man is going to heal. The gift of healings can be manifested from one person to another. I've seen that a lot in my life. So he uses one person, the Holy Spirit uses one person to pray over another person, and it's used that way. And I've also seen the gift of healings work when a person themselves begins to rise up praying for themselves. In fact, I think that that actually happens more often than someone else praying for you, is that God just begins to download that gift of healings in you. So um, if you are ever used to pray for someone, and y'all see a mighty miracle take place, always remember to give the glory to the Lord for any miracle that takes place in you or through you. Stay completely humble knowing that God is the only source, the only source. You know, because sometimes when the Holy Spirit uses people to bring healing to others, then that person is so grateful, they can immediately be going, oh, man, you're you're so powerful, you're so this and that. And the enemy is going to create an opportunity to quickly tempt you to receive honor and glory instead of giving it immediately to the only one who deserves the praise. Okay, just be really careful, be really wise. Why does the scripture say gift of healings instead of healing? Because it sounds kind of weird when you say it, right? We have the gift of faith, and then we have the gift of healings. Well, the reason um, it says healings, most theologians think it's because the word healings is plural because it's representing every type or category of healing for the stripes that Jesus took on his back. So that's like 39 to be exact, okay? So that's more than one because there are so many different uh, categories that we need to press in for if we're believing for healing. Some might say that the gift of healings is not as important today because we have doctors, we have medicine, and, you know, we've made great advancements. I mean, there's a lot of things that we can just go straight to the doctor and he's going to fix, right? But I have seen the Lord. 
I had personally seen the Lord heal people that doctors have given up on so many times in my life. Our God is the great, he's the great physician. There's none like him. And he uses this gift of healings many times to bring healing in one's life. Isaiah 53, 5 through 6 says, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace. Guys, I could cry when I read that. He was willing to take the punishment so that you and I could live in peace. It was put upon him, and I love this, by his wounds, we are healed. By his wounds, we are healed. Matthew 8 says, When evening had come, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out all the spirits with a word. Isn't that powerful? With the word. He didn't come with artillery, fighting, weapons. With a word, he drove out those evil spirits. And all were healed that were sick. All of them. This was to fulfill what, this is what the scripture says, verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah when he said, he took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. I love, I love it when the New Testament goes back and captures something that was prophetically spoken in the Old Testament. A couple of Old Testament supernatural healing examples that I love, and so this will kind of be a time to study and listen real quick of things that happened. One, I'll cut it short. You know, we read in 2 Kings 5 the story of Naaman, who was the Syrian general. He went to Elisha because he had leprosy all over his body. And Elisha told him to go dip seven times in the river Jordan. And as Naaman obeyed, he didn't come up healed the first time. The second time, can you imagine he's dunking? The third, the fourth, the fifth. But when he came up on that seventh time, the miraculous happened. He was completely healed of any sign of leprosy. It was gone as he stepped into the miraculous. Second Kings 20 I love this one. Uh, in those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah went to him. I think there was a lot of times we really didn't want to visit from a prophet because it may not be good news. But the prophet Isaiah went to him and he said, listen, you need to get your house in order. You do because it doesn't look good. You're not going to recover. You're going to die. And Hezekiah turned his face to the wall, and he prayed to the Lord. And I love how he reminds God of their relationship, just in case he had forgotten. Remember, O Lord, how I have walked with you faithfully with wholehearted devotion. And I have done everything that was good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. You know, before Isaiah had even left the middle court, it says, the word of the Lord. I love the word again. The word of the Lord came to him. And he says, go back and talk to Hezekiah. Ooh, that's a good one. 
He is the leader of my people. And I want you to tell him what the Lord says. The God of your father, David, says, I have heard your prayer and I have seen your tears. Have you ever walked through something in your life that in a moment you, re you recognize that he heard you and he saw it and he's going to come to your defense? I'm like, yes, Lord. He said, I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord and I'm going to add 15 years to, to your life. And Isaiah said, prepare a poultice of figs. So they did. And they applied it to the boil. And the word says he recovered. I'm not going to go into the next scripture there. But in verse 9, when you get home, read verse 9. Because that talks about a miracle, another sign and miracle. It's so cool. That kind of relates to that story. The New Testament story I want to use is Acts 8. says, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and he preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. Okay, I just want to stop right there because I think this is so important. They heeded. They accepted. They entered in. They responded. Guys, when you're speaking truth to people, when you're speaking the word of God to people, we want to know that they're going to heed what they're hearing. We want to know that they're going to respond to the word of God. Well, look at this. They heeded the things spoken by Philip because they were hearing and they were seeing the miracles which he did. So we know in this time that when the Holy Spirit shows up and there are signs and wonders happening in your life, at your office, at the gas station, you know, with your best friend eating lunch, when the signs and wonders show up, do you think your friends are going to listen to you? Yes, it's an open door to be able to recognize the hand of God, the power of God, not in you, but who you represent, okay? And it says that crying with a loud voice, um, the, in, the, the demons came out of those that were possessed, and those that were paralyzed and lame were healed instantly. And there was great joy in that city. Can you imagine as they looked around? Wow, I've known him. Look at him. Oh, my gosh. I've, he's been paralyzed since we were kids. He could never go out and play. And all of a sudden, they see the hand of God raising up people. And there was joy. Because any time the Lord performs an act, it's for our joy. It brings us joy when we see his hand. In this scripture, we actually see the gift of faith and we see the gift of healings. You know, I just want to say this. Demons frequently can cause affliction. They can. And when they come out, the people will recover. This is why sometimes, and I mean not, not all times, deliverance may need to occur before a healing can take place. So I'm just going to put it out there. It's, it's not always, but it can happen. Mark 5 says, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they had been waiting on him. And then all of a sudden, there's a synagogue leader named Jairus, and he came and he fell at Jesus' feet. And he begs him, please come to my house, because he had his only child. She was a girl, and she was 12 years old, and he said, my daughter is dying. I need you to stop what you're doing. Have we ever said that to God, as if he can't multitask? I need you to stop what you're doing. I need your attention right now for my child or for my husband or for my loved one or for me, right? 
And he says, I need you to stop what you're doing and come because my 12-year-old is dying. And Jesus responded. He goes, I'm coming. Let's go. And they started out immediately. But the problem was that there was a crowd following them, and they were pushing at, through the crowd. And then all of a sudden, we know there's the quick interruption that I'm not going to talk about, but we have the woman with the issue of blood. And she stops him, and he gets to bring healing to her. But she's not in my story today. So we're going to keep going. Verse 35 says, while Jesus was still speaking, right? He's just got through praying for this woman, and he's, he's speaking life into her. Someone arrives from the house of Jairus, and he says, um, your daughter's dead. So do you, you don't need to bother the teacher anymore. The moment passed. Have we ever thought God missed the moment? We used to sing a song years ago. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. Love that old song. He's an on-time God. So he says, don't bother the teacher anymore. But Jesus overheard them, and he said, oh, no, 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 I'm still coming. You don't need to be afraid. You need to just believe because she's going to be healed. When he entered the house, when Jesus entered the house, he did not allow anyone to go in there with him except Peter, James, and John, and the parents, the father and mother of that child. And Jesus said, stop weeping, stop mourning for her, stop, because she is not dead, she's only asleep, and the word says that the people laughed at him, oh, what nerve, they laughed at him, of course, they probably didn't know, right, they didn't know who he was, they laughed because they knew in the, in the physical realm, it looked like she was dead, so kind of foolish to think she's going to live, but Jesus took her by the hand, and he called out, Child, get up. And her spirit returned at once, and she got up. And then, <laughs> I love this, he told them, give her something to eat. He wanted to make sure that her physical needs were met there. Her parents were astounded at the hand of God. Can you imagine if, when, when that Messenger came and said, I don't bother him anymore. Debt. Jairus would have said, you know, you're right. Don't come. It's too late. It's too late. But he didn't. He still allowed Jesus to come with him. Another way that we see the gift of miracles happen is through the cloth. Like, if, have you ever heard of someone having a cloth prayed over, and then they bring it and lay it on someone else? So Acts 19 says, and God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Y'all may think that's crazy and y'all may think that that doesn't happen today, but I will tell you my friend Jimmy Hogan. I don't know, anybody know Donna and Jimmy? Yeah, Jimmy Hogan, years ago, we had a prayer service at a church we attended, and the line went till 2 in the morning. And it was about 1.30 in the morning when Donna got up there. I said, can you pray for my husband? His back is in such bad pain, he can't get out of bed. And there, you know, we have those modesty cloths if someone falls out, make sure they're covered. The pastor took the modesty, modesty cloth and anointed it and prayed over it and said, I want you to take this to Jimmy and put it right on his back, not on his shirt, but right on his back and believe. And she did. I mean, she got home late. It was probably about 2.33 in the morning. And she woke him up, 
and they raised up his shirt. And I'm telling you, when she put that cloth, it was just a piece of cloth, cotton, on his back, it began to immediately heat up. And this is not hocus pocus. This is the hand of God. If you've ever had someone pray over you over anointing and you felt his presence, a lot of times it can feel like a warm oil and it began to heat up. And the Holy Spirit in that moment healed Jimmy's back like that. He couldn't even get out of bed. So we know it really happens. You know, I was a trainer for a company for years, and there was a lady that was not on my team, okay, and, and, um, but I would help her. She was from Corpus. She moved to San Antonio, and I, I felt like I needed to help her because she needed support. And when I first met her, she was suffering. Uh, she had just been suffering with cancer, and she had had half of her lung removed. And so that's, that's where I meet her. And she's not a Christian woman, nothing that, she's very new age, nothing that would come out of her mouth was about the Lord or church or anything about God. And um, um, she, I would let her come to all my meetings. And one morning I'd gone to the embassy suites to uh, prepare for a training, like for an eight-hour training, and I'm busy at 7 o'clock in the morning, and, and I'm like unloading boxes and setting things up and preparing the atmosphere for this training and all of a sudden she walks in. There's nobody at the hotel because nobody else gets there till about 9. And she walks in and she goes, hey, girl, just wanted to help you. And I could tell there was something like didn't sound right. And I was like, are you okay? She sounded like she had bronchitis. So are you okay? And she says, well, it's back. And I said, what's back? And she said, the cancer's back. I was like, oh, Sherry, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. You know, and I showed her compassion. I said, I love you. And I gave her a hug, but my mind was thinking, I got so much to do. Like, I got to get this thing set up. I'm being paid to train here. And as I turned away, the Holy Spirit said, oh, no. You turn back. You lay hands on her. And you pray the prayer of faith because I'm going to heal her. And I'm like, now, Lord, now, okay. So I turned back and I said, Sherry, um, just do me a favor. I'm going to pray for you. And all I need you to do is to come in agreement with whatever I say. Is that okay? Can you do that? And she was like, yeah. I said, okay. So I literally sat there and uh, prayed the house down um, for her and, and, and just began to declare the word and what the word says about healing. And you know, when I finished, you know, she was crying, and, and that was it. We went through the day, and about two weeks later, I was having a meeting at my house, and she, um, she came to the meeting, and the minute it was over, she was like, can I talk to you? And I said, of course, and she was a little bit older than me, you know, and she was like, um, she was like, I got it. You're not going to believe this. I said, what? And she goes, I went to the doctor today to get an x-ray, and she goes, it's completely gone completely gone and I was like oh to God be the glory to God be the glory you know and and if I had time which I don't I'll tell you another time um, it took about a year for the Lord to bring her to him as Savior but the Lord told me I mean that night I was like okay now I'm going in for the kill I'm gonna lead her to Jesus and the Holy Spirit said stop and I was like stop your word says today is the day of salvation and the Holy Spirit said, no, I want her to choose me for me, not for what I just did. And it was another year of witnessing before the Lord uh, drew her heart in. And then she gave her testimony everywhere 
of salvation and healing. Okay, just such a, he's such a good God. He's such a good God. Um, during COVID, gosh, I hate that clock. Okay, during COVID, Rod, and so, of course, I draw your attention to it, right? <laughs> during COVID, you know, Robert contracted COVID first, and about four days later, I did too. And um, he would have spikes, really high spikes of fever. And um, so he and I would pray. And we knew, right, that the word says that Jesus went into the home of Peter's and he healed her mother-in-law, Peter's mother-in-law, of fever. He spoke to the, to the fever and it left her. And so Robert and I knew that the enemy had no legal right to be in our home, no legal right according to scripture. And so that attack uh, was not going to happen. And we would declare like his, his fever would be so high. And I mean, I'm telling you within seconds, within not two, maybe two minutes, it would go right back down to normal without medication. It's like the Lord would just say yes as we would take authority over that. You know, we just begin to bind the spirit of infirmity in our home, letting it know it had no legal right to be there. There are other ways of healing, and that would be the laying on of hands through the gift of faith. Mark 6, 5 says, Now Jesus could do no mighty work in Nazareth except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. This gift needs to be done and operate with faith. The people of Nazareth did not believe Jesus could heal, which is why he could only heal a few, right? So we need to partner in with faith. The Holy Spirit spoke this truth to me about three weeks ago when I was studying, and it's something I felt very strong, um, strongly as I read this passage, that when we are going through something, that we need a miracle, we need healing, any type of miracle, we need to surround ourselves with like-minded believers. I'm telling you, it was just like true believers. You know, because I look and think back to the story I just told, Jesus thought, thought it was necessary to surround himself with only true believers when he went in that room. Why? Because he knew it could affect the outcome. Because he had been to Nazareth, right? He saw when people don't believe what happens. So he only wanted those around him in that moment, in that atmosphere, that were going to believe with him. So if Jesus, the Son of God, thinks that's important, you better know that I think it's important. <laughs> you know, so if you're needing a miracle to happen in your lives, we need to be in one accord and in unity with truth and with the written word. No fear, no doubt, or unbelief allowed in our midst are in our thoughts, are in our conversations, but we must align ourselves only with the truth of God's word in every situation. James 5 says, Is there any sick among you? This has always been one of my favorites. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed any sins, they shall be forgiven him. So we know that when we call the elders and the spiritual leaders of this house, in this fellowship, they are full of faith and they are full of the word. And you can expect that when they lay hands on you and anoint you with oil, that you can believe in faith and that you're going to be healed in the name of Jesus. You can expect it. You know, they used to say you can take that to the bank. You can 
it's truth. So lastly, I'm going to talk about the working of miracles. The power to see a miracle take place is available to all believers. And the Holy Spirit distributes this gift as he wills in momentary situations. It is a divine intervention to alter circumstances. Super, it's a supernatural suspension of a natural law. Does that make sense? It suspends everything that's in the natural, and the supernatural comes forth, okay? It defies all logic. So what is the purpose of the gift of miracles in the church? So I wrote down three. One, that men might know the power of God. I think that's the most important. Two, a witness to the reality of the existence of the supernatural ability of God. I'm telling you, when people see the miracles of God, all that doubt, out the window. Now they want to, tell me more. What were we taught? Tell me more. When they see with their own eyes the hand of God. I can't even imagine how many doors have been opened to you, Leslie and Chris, through the healing of your body. People want to hear. People aren't, oh, I don't want to hear. They want to know how did that happen. It's just so precious. And then it's proof to the message spoken in the authority of Jesus. It will draw people to Jesus. And that's the bottom line. That's why we want it for no other reason but that it will draw people to Jesus. God has always been a God of miracles from the beginning. He is the same God that performed miracles in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And he still works miracles today. Today, right now, I guarantee you there were miracles that took place today in this service. So let's get an example from the Old Testament. This is another one of my favorites. In 2 Kings 4, um, this is where Elisha uses the oil to multiply, okay? So there's this woman, and she says to the man of God, Elisha, she says, okay, her husband was part of the company of prophets, so we know he was a godly man. And she cries out to Elisha. She says, your servant, my husband, he's dead. And now that you know that he revered you, he loved you, but now that he's died, his creditors are coming to make us pay up on debt we had. What are we going to do? He, they're threatening to take our two sons and make them slaves. Can you imagine? To make them slaves. And El Elisha says to her, how can I help you? Well, I mean, I'm sure she had a list of things he could do. But, because <laughs> she's a woman, oh, I'm missing my husband. Let me give you the list. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, so, <laughs> you know, um, sorry, babe. But, you know, so he says, do you have something in your house? And she goes, all I have is a little flask of olive oil. And Elisha told her, to go and to borrow as many jars as she could get from all of her friends, all of her neighbors. Can I borrow your jar? Oh, you're not using that today, are you? Borrowing jars everywhere, right? And then he told her, go in the house and with your sons and shut the door behind you. There's something about getting alone with God. Every one of these stories, if you read into them, get alone, go upstairs, be by yourself. You know, I mean, even Jesus went away to be just with God, to Father there's something about getting alone. So go into your house with your sons and shut the door beside you. Fill each jar full with olive oil and then set each one of them aside as you go through the process, right? 
So she did as she was told, and she kept having her sons bringing the jars to her, and she kept filling them one after another. Soon, every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar. I can just imagine. Bring me another jar. And the boys look at each other and like, uh, Mom, we're all out. We're all out. And the minute they said, there's no more, the word says that the olive oil stopped flowing instantly. When there was no more room to put it in. And during the night, the Lord showed me something on that too for another time when I was awake. But there's, very, there's something linked this about having vessels that are empty and ready to be filled. How many jars and vessels of honor do we have here in this house today? I can't go there now. Just think about it. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said, now sell that olive oil, right? And pay all of your debts. How nice is that? And then you and your son will live on the leftover. That must have been a lot of oil to be able to live on the leftover olive oil. In verse 9, the Bible tells us another supernatural story. And this is where Elisha went to the town of Shunem. A wealthy woman lived there, and she urged Elisha to come eat a meal. Come eat a meal at our house. And after that, every time he would stop by in that city, he would literally go to her house to get something to eat. And she told her husband, I know this is a man of God. So can we just build him a house, just build him a room upstairs on the roof? Let's just build him a room and let's furnish it. So when he comes through, he, I'm just going to tell the story without looking at it. When he comes through, um, you know, we can provide something for him because he's a man of God. And one time um, as he was coming through, um, he says, uh, Gehazi, which was his servant, Gehazi, um, ask the woman who's been so kind to us what we can do to help her. And she was like, well, nothing, nothing. He's like, would you want us to put in a good word for you for the, with the kings or the army, you know, the, the man who's over the army? No, I'm good. My family's wealthy. We're good. And Gehazi tells Elisha, he said, do you know that her husband is old? She doesn't even have a son. And so he goes, I think this is something we could do for her. So they call her in, and Elisha tells her, do you know that... Uh, I believe, even though you say there's nothing that we can do, that God is going to um, open your womb. That this time next year, you're going to be holding a son. And she says, oh, no, my Lord. No, don't even, don't tease me like that. Don't tease, it, wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, no, my Lord, I don't want it, right? You know, she said, oh, no, my Lord, don't tease me like that. Don't promise me promises that can't, you can't fulfill you know how much I want that in my heart? And he says, it's going to happen. So that time next year, I mean, she had fallen pregnant, and she had her son. And so the word of God was fulfilled. But what happened was as he got older, he was out in the fields working with his father harvesting, right? And then all of a sudden one day he's like going, oh, my head hurts, my, my head hurts. And he's crying out. I honestly think it may have been an aneurysm, you think? I mean, I kind of think that might be what it was. But he immediately falls to the ground, and, and the father says, calls to a servant, take him to his mother. So he, they carry him into the house to the mother, and um, the mother holds the son until noon, and he dies, okay? He dies in her arms. She carries that son up to the room of the man of God, up into the room that they had made for Elijah. And she calls to one of the servants and says, 
go tell my husband I need a servant and I need a donkey and I need it now because we have got to fix this. My son, my son just died. And she gets on that horse and she heads out as fast as she can to go find Elisha. And as she's coming to Mount Carmel, Elisha literally looks out in the distance and he's like, what's that shooting the night woman? What is she doing? And she's like riding and he tells Gehazi, the servant, go meet her, see what she wants. Ask her if she's okay, if her, father, if her husband's okay, if her child's okay. And I mean, I don't know why, but when Gehazi asked, she says, yeah, it's fine. I think it's because she really wanted to make sure she could get into the presence of the man of God. So she said, yeah, everything's fine. Can I just talk to him? So as she gets close to Elisha, the word says that she literally falls to her feet in front of him and grabs his legs. I mean, that's a woman who's desperate for an answer from God, right? And, and Gehazi is like pushing her away. And, and Elisha says, no, 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 you need to stop, stop. She has something to say, and God has not revealed to me yet what it is. I need to know. So he asked her, what is it? And she said, sir, did you not tell me? Did you not tell me I was going to have a son? Did you not make this promise to me? Were you deceiving me? And I know I'm par paraphrasing, but basically she's saying, were you deceiving me? Were you lying to me when you told me I would have a son? And he says, no, no. And he says, Gehazi, I need you to take my staff and I need you to go on ahead. And I want you to put that on that child's face. And woman that she is, I would be the same way. You think that was good enough? I don't think so. She tells Gehazi, as long as God lives and as long as you live, I'm not going anywhere without you. So you're coming with me or I'm not going anywhere. And so that's a woman with influence. She literally talked him into going with her. And as they were going back to Shunem, Gehazi is already coming back. And he said, I put the staff on the face. It didn't work. And he's like, it's okay. And Gehazi's like, he's, he's really dead. Like the news, he really is dead. And when they got there, Elijah goes straight up in there and he puts, it says he puts his body on top of that child in that upper room. And it says he put his eyes to his eyes, his mouth to his mouth, his hands to his hands. And he is laying on top of him, crying out to God. And that boy's body begins to warm up. Warm up. Life begins to come back in him. I love this story. And then Elijah gets up and he walks. It says that he walks around the room once and he comes back. He's going to do it again. Eyes to eyes, mouth to mouth, hands to hands. And he stretches forth over that child and he begins to cry out to God. And all of a sudden, the child sneezes. Not once. That child sneezes seven times. And if you look at scripture, numbers are important. And I believe that child sneezed seven times because seven is the number of completion, fulfillment. And that's when they knew this kid is going to be just fine. Okay, I just, I love that story. And it's a miracle of God in the Old Testament. I'm almost done now. I love y'all. We had a lot to do today. <laughs> okay, so... I'm going to go down to, I'm going to skip one. Acts 9, Peter traveled about the country, and he went to visit the devoted ones in Lydda. There he met a man that was named Aeneas, who was a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. 
Aeneas, Peter says to him, Jesus Christ, the anointed one, instantly and divinely heals you. Now get up and make your bed, which was his mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up and stood to his feet, and the word says, and all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and became believers in the Lord. What is this all about, guys? What is it all about? It is about leading people to come into the presence of God so that their lives would be transformed because they're going to know Jesus. In that same scripture, the next verse, it says, In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. She was always doing good and helping the poor, but all of a sudden she became sick and died. Her body was washed and placed upstairs, and Lydda, that town, was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, it's just right down the street, they sent two men to him and urged him to come to come at once so that Peter would come and pray. And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to that room. Now all the widows stood around, and they were crying and sobbing, and Peter sent them all out of the room. Again, I think it's so important, all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees, and he prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. I just can't wait till when we are speaking in that kind of authority. Oh, it's going to happen, guys. It's going to happen. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up, and he took her by the hand, and he helped her to her feet. And then they called the believers and the widows, and they presented, presented her to them alive. And um, I love it because, again, God uses every miracle to draw people in. And uh, here's one of my last Here's my last. Um, Robert and I, um, I don't know if y'all have heard of this man or not heard of this man, but this was a great, one of the, I've heard a lot of crazy stories in my life, and fortunately I've known the people, so I knew that even though they were crazy, um, they're true. And this story, we had seen uh, this missionary to Mexico probably three times, I think, and some of y'all here have seen him before, but his name is David Hogan. And David is a missionary to Mexico, and I mean like 30 years ago, like he started fasting every other day of his life, full fast every other day. And can you imagine fasting 182 days a year? Can you imagine what God would do if we did? Can you imagine how good we'd look if we did? Okay, no. So, but you think about, you think about the sacrifice that he's made because his life is completely given to seeing people saved, delivered, healed and raised from the dead. So one of the stories that I remember that he told, and I love it, uh, was that David was holding a service in Mexico. He was holding a service, and this man came from the service who was a part of the cartel. He just showed up because, you know, probably to, as a gang he wanted to do something. But he heard the word of the Lord, and he gave his heart to the Lord that night. And so it was like this miraculous thing that this horrible person just accepted Jesus, and they're all excited. And a few days later, um, David was meeting with his leaders, you know, probably like a, a church elder meeting or something, and they got a phone call. And it was from this man, and he was saying, y'all got to help me. I've accepted Jesus, 
but the cartel, the head of the cartel is coming after me because I, first of all, because I got out of the cartel, and, and another reason, because I owe him money. And it's thousands of dollars, and I don't know what to do because we don't have that kind of money. And David said, well, technically, neither do we, you know. But he said that he began to pray with his elders for a supernatural financial provision for this man because that cartel leader was saying, pay up. I need you to transfer me money, and he didn't have it. And they were seeking the Lord, praying for a miracle of God, and this is crazy, okay? I'm just getting ready. Put your crazy hat on. The next day, his wife, that lady's, that man's wife, was raking the leaves in her yard, and she was raking them into piles. You know, when you're getting ready to rake leaves and you're going to pick them up, you put them in piles. And all of a sudden, she looked back and looked at the leaves, and they had turned to cash. And she was like, oh, no way. And so she ran in, and she called her husband, who made a call to David, and they ran to the house. Do any of y'all remember this story? No. Yes. Okay, so they, they come to the house, and David brings boxes, and they're like literally putting all these leaves, cash, in these boxes. And David goes, I don't understand it. It's a miracle of God. We just trust God. Let's go straight to the bank. So they take these boxes of leaves slash cash, and they run it through the counter, like the counter, all the bills and stuff. And it was exactly the amount of money that he owed this head of the cartel, exactly to the dollar or peso, whatever it is here in Mexico. It was exactly. And they were able to take that money because it was cash. You didn't have to wait a day or two, right? Not like waiting for a check to clear. And they were able to transfer it to that man in the cartel so that he could be spared. Is that crazy? Yes, it is. But do I believe it? Yes, I do. It is no different than the stories in the Old Testament. And that was before we had the Holy Spirit in each of us. The stories only get better because we are carriers of his presence. Okay. Last thing, I believe that as we continue to hunger for the Holy Spirit and we continue to just seek his precious face and we become intimate with him, we are going to see a change in this church. He is going to work in us. He is going to work through us. And we are going to stand amazed at the power that is received through having that intimacy with the Holy Spirit. He is not a respecter of persons. So if you've already gone, oh, well, that's because he fasted every other day. You know, we can easily discount what God wants to do with you. He doesn't have to have all these things to use you. He just needs some availability coming from you, a heart that says yes. God made us in his image and in his likeness. Our new, our new nature allows us to operate in spiritual dimensions. Last scripture, Acts 6 says that Stephen was full of God's grace and power, and he did great wonders and signs among the people. As a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit and full of power. So I just want to tell y'all today that over this beautiful family of God that we have here, I declare the power of God over you. 
I declare that you will receive this message into your spirit, into your soul, into your mind, and it will become revelation to you. And you won't sit back and go, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's for them. I don't know if it's for me. I'm telling you, it's for you. It's for each of you. Surrender, surrender. That's the biggest word I can think of is surrender. We have to surrender our preconceived ideas. We have to surrender our pride. We have to surrender our strongholds. We have to surrender our spirit of religion and say yes to what he is wanting to do. We love you guys. Sorry I held you over. And if you want to pray, we are here to pray over you. Thank you for joining us. Holy Spirit, I thank you, God, that you, you alone, you alone are the king of glory, the rose of Sharon, the lamb of God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that today your word will not return void, but it will be planted deep into the spirits, the souls, the minds, the ears of the people that are here today. And no spirit of fear, doubt, and unbelief will continue to mess with their hearts because you reign. Lion of Judah, you reign. I want you to roar over this house and have your way in this community. We give it to you for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for being here this morning. To give you an idea, over 38 years ago, I met Raleene, and I was unsaved, and I put her on my co-ed softball team, thinking, I'm going to ask her out. And guys in my office said, no, 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 she won't go out with anybody but Christians. I said, it's okay, she'll go out with me. <laughs> and so I put her on my team, right field, hardly anything goes out in the right field. And um, <laughs> after the game, uh, I asked her out to dinner. And she said, no. And I said, come on, let's just go out to dinner. And, and she said, no. And I said, why? And, and so we just started talking. And after about 45 minutes, you can see the power and that she walks in. She communicated the Lord to me as an unbeliever. As um, she opened the door to who the Lord is, and the Lord changed my life. We were married eight months later. So, so that's uh, the power that she walks in, um, and this is the power that I see and I enjoy every day through him. I know that I can rely on her to pray for me. I know that I can rely on her to pray for our kids. And I know that there's a divine connection through her to him. And I just share in that. And it's an example for me. So again, we can be examples to one another. We can share with one another. We can live with one another. But it's all about him. He's the one that brings us together. He's the one that gives us power and influence. He's the one that gives us the ability to be able to bring others in and be able to minister to others in a way that we couldn't do it without him. So love on him, and he will allow you to be example of who he is to others. Amen.